it, Jonas? I think so, yes. We are recording from the courtyard by Marriott, the non-official hotel at the U.S. National Exhibition in Rochester, New York. Yeah, I'm Andrew Robson of Rakuyo Bonsai. Jonas, Bonsai Tonight, and today we have with us a special guest. Uh, I'm now Tokutake of Tokutake Bonsai. Awesome. And now is it is a bonsai potter from Portland, Oregon. Um, he's he's a kind of a recent potter to the scene, but not a recent potter. Um, and and now this is your first time at the show, right? What do you what what are, what's what's this weekend been like for you? Oh, it's been crazy. We uh, we started at what eight in the morning, and eight it's just been bonsai, bonsai, bonsai all day. Yeah, these are these are crazy events, but they're a lot of fun. <laughs> Can you OB like over bonsai or like <laughs> this, was this fine having a whole day of just solid I, 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 tree talk? I'm, uh, yeah, I think we're getting pretty close there. It's what almost 10 p.m. and it's <laughs> over 14 hours of bonsai. <laughs> 14 hours of bonsai. That's a good day when it's been 14 hours of bonsai. It's a tiring day. <laughs> I had a lot of fun. I, I I saw a lot of new things I've never seen before, and that's always a good day. Oh, what's one thing that was new? Well, just walking around the the show area, you see a lot of. Uh, interesting displays that uh, you wouldn't see in a show in Japan or even in, in Portland, um, particularly the pots. Uh, I, I saw, and I learned a lot just by looking at all the varieties of shapes and forms and compositions today just walking around. That was, was quite inspirational, actually. Neat. For those who haven't been to the national show or shows in Japan, for that matter, there's much broader variety of styles, shapes, and really approaches to ceramics in the U.S. than in Japan. Does that seem fair? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and like by a big margin. Right. <laughs> Just walking down run one row, you'll see a modern American pot. It may have come out of the kiln last week. And right next to it, a Nakawatari antique Chinese pot. And ne next to that, a mass-produced Japanese pot. And next yeah. to that, a European import. And it's, you know, it's mind-blowing, the, the kind of variety you can get. As a potter, it's been, it's been very, very good time. Did you, uh, did you have any pots in the show this weekend? I did, I did. Uh, one oval uh, with Dennis Votilla's uh, Hawthorne. Neat. What what was it like working with Dennis about uh, on that container? Oh, I, I, I'm super lucky. Dennis is the dream uh, collaborator for any potter. Uh, oh, neat. Yeah. What, yeah. What's that mean? Well, Dennis is a very flexible, <laughs> uh, uh, kind person to work for. He he he, he gives you a very uh, broad set of parameters to work with, and he kind of lets the artist do his thing. And so, so that's that's what I've really enjoyed working with him. Does working with Dennis feel more like a collaboration than a commission? Oh, ab absolutely. Uh, he, he, for example, he'll give me freedom of form and color, which um, a lot of a lot of people, uh, bonsai growers, you know, they won't they won't give me that that uh, latitude. Um, so that for the pot in the show in particular, it's a, a dark bluish green oval. Uh, he only gave me the size and nothing else. Oh really? Uh, um, so you got to choose the shape and all the all that? Yeah, exactly. Oh. I I knew That's what I kind of knew what tree it was for, so I you know I had some kind of. He, he, Dennis is very kind of floaty wow. about uh, about his plans, uh, <laughs> so that's kind of kind of half of the fun as well. That sounds like a lot of pressure, or was it just very freeing to say, oh, I can make a pot about yay big and do what I want? <laughs> it, it, it varies. Sometimes sometimes it's kind of. Uh, freeing to ha to have these set parameters. Uh -huh. um, I don't have to think that way. <laughs> it, it is very stressful to come up with a unique 
design, um, it, there is a lot of stress on the prodder to, 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 to do half of the composition. Um, do you do that thing where a lot of potters I know, and this is common in the U.S. and Japan, where when you get a commission, you make three pots, hoping that one will be close to the right size when it comes out of the kiln, and then you go with the best one, or you're like, no, I can just nail this the first time. <laughs> I, yeah, so I, I think for that one, I nailed it. Nice. Uh, I, actually, I recall it was around Christmas. I was I was on bonding bonding leave from work. Oh. Uh, I remember it was a cold morning. I opened the kiln. I saw Dennis, what would become Dennis's pot, and I I held it up running through the house because I thought it was it was quite beautiful. I told my <laughs> I told my wife that it was a winning pot. So. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a winning pot, and I just got a text that it's a winning tree as really? well. No um, oh boy! This is unconfirmed, but we're, we're we're podcasting, I guess, live or not live, but yeah. <laughs> while the awards banquet has been happening, no and I just got a text that Dennis is a Hawthorne one best three deciduous. Uh, that's three in a row. He won My goodness. Um, uh, four, uh, two shows ago with his birch, uh, the last show with his maple? Japanese maple, and, and now with his Hawthorne. And it's in your pot. Congrats. That's so incredible. let us be the first ones to congratulate you. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. Uh, that's, that's, wow. that's pretty that's cool. That's not bad. How does that feel? <laughs> it's indescribable, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the pottery side, it's not my full time job. Um, but it gives me my soul the, the, the most happiness. So to, to have that honor, to work with Dennis and to have him win is just indescribable. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's super special. I'm glad we got that text come in during this. this <laughs> perfect. We're going to have to talk to Dennis one of these days. That's we all will. there is to it. I need to come up and we'll visit and yeah, we'll make we'll, that happen. We'll get Dennis and now back yeah. on a podcast. And we'll so how did you that. choose the shape of that pot, for instance? It's kind of that bag or purse-shaped pot. How did you come up with that? Right. Uh, so actually, uh, another BSOP, uh, Portland Bonsai Society member, Scott Elser, is another big influencer on my, my forums. Um, and the pot originally, the design of it, the profile, uh, originally came from one of his designs. Oh. Um, he likes a very kind of Western amphora, kind of Greco-modern form. Uh, and so that profile is something that he's used a lot and, and wanted in his pots. Oh, interesting. Um, so I was actually doing a run of pots for Scott Elser at that exact moment oh. that I was making this, this pot for Dennis. And the, the two ideas kind of overlapped. Uh, and so I ended up using that profile in Dennis's pot. How hard is it to make that? And how do you call it? Is it a purse shape, the bag shape? I've heard it different ways. What do you think of that that form? Yeah. When I was talking with Dennis about it last week, I called it a, a bag pot, a fukurobachi. But uh-huh. it's 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 it, it, the way I describe it. Um, it's not exactly a fukurobachi, which has a very distinct overhang and casts a very deep shadow on the lip. Right, it more suggests that shape. It's, it's, it's right. a suggested... Correct, yeah. So I, it was my modern take on a fukurobachi. Nice. Uh, in fact, I, I was on the airplane here, I was wondering what would the Japanese judge think of this pot? Um, oh, you know, good question. It, it's an abomination of a of a fukurobachi. It's a, it's what it's is a this modernization thing? of a modernization right. or evolution of a yeah. Of, so of that bag. apparently he likes it. So uh, that's good to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really really exciting. Uh, what tell us about the color of the pot and, and how you thought about it in relation to the hawthorn. <laughs> yeah, um, I knew that uh, he wanted to show the hawthorn in, uh, for the nationals, and I was hoping that it would have some better color. Um, it being September, it, it's a little early before the Hawthorne to change color, but it would be a brilliant yellow, orange, red kind of color. And so the 
the, the colors of the pot itself are kind of a greener, uh, cooler palette. Uh, there's uh, some patches of purple and blue. Um, and so the idea was to complement the yellows with the blues and the purples. I, I, I really like the color of the pot. To me, I guess color is interesting because it reads as different to different people. To me, it reads as a, like a purplish color, which which I really, really like. Mm. But one thing that's really interesting about your work, I think, is is you do f- for the most... And this pot maybe is an exception because it's not a f- super traditional form. But a lot of your work is traditional forms with a, a non-traditional glaze. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I always find that striking. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I, I study... I love I love traditional Japanese pottery. Um, long before I did bonsai pots, I studied all the you know the, the ancient kilns of Japan and the forms that they were using. And um, more recently, I studied Chinese forms, uh, and I think that that never left me. Uh, being half Japanese and um, doing bonsai uh, pottery in my grandfather's memory, I, I have to stay true to that Japanese aesthetic and. Um, I can't think of anything else to make. I could, I could never veer from that. Uh, but living in America and it being the 21st century, I, I recognize that I, you know, we can't just keep using the same glazes uh, for, for 2,000 years, that there's, there is room for innovation. And I think combining those forms with these modern glazes gives uh, you know, a lot of interest. Uh, and there's a whole world to play with in that you know, combining different forms and different glazes. Yeah, yeah, sure. Do, does um, does atmosphere in a kiln play any influence in your work? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and how so? And and for people who aren't potters, maybe describe a little bit what that means. Y- yeah. Uh, so you know, the the pot is coated in a, a a mixture of chemicals that give the pot color when it's finally fired, and uh, the atmosphere how much oxygen in particular affects the color of that final product um, and actually the the concentration of, of oxygen uh, varies a lot in, within the kiln so you can have a patches of oxygen heavy areas and uh, patches where there's no oxygen and so th- that's how you end up with a pot with kind of a modeled color effect that mm-hmm. some patches some parts of the pot will have more oxygen than others and I play with that a lot with my work it gives it a lot of depth and visual interest, and and some depending on the chemicals you use, you can get um, very strong, stark contrast in those colors. Um, copper is one of the most classic examples of that, where you, it can go from green to purple to even red, uh, depending on the amount of oxygen in the kiln. Yeah, it's super fascinating. How much control do you have over that? The various pockets of oxygen in the kiln or where the effects are or is it literally you just close your eyes and make a wish and <laughs> open the door when it's cooled down so so interesting i'm reading a, a book about um shoji hamada right now ah. and uh, there is an art to packing the kiln uh, that th- only the master potters would know exactly where to place it visualizing in their mind's eye where the flame will come and lick the pot uh-huh. knowing that you know you want the handle to have the flame hit it and get this cool effect um, and then they do a Shinto ceremony and close up the kiln and hope for the best. Um, well, and knowing how often you get the off-center details on your pots, you mm-hmm. clearly have, unless you're throwing away dozens of pots we never see, you clearly have some idea of where those, some 
of those details are going to show up. Yeah, yeah, I uh, yeah, I think m most potters have their kiln dialed in. I think after a few <laughs> firings, so I have a few spots that I know will repeatedly give the effect I want. So that one specific pot. It's funny how much you can talk about a single pot. We're going to need pictures of the spot. Yeah, we'll post them uh, on on the web on yeah, we'll probably throw them up website. on one of our websites. We'll have a link in the yeah. show notes, but. It's, you can definitely tell the departure point for the pot and that you start with that fukurobachi shape, but it's a little more slope sides, a little bit less pronounced pinch at the top, a little condensed gap where the string would be around the mm -hmm. top. And so it is a version of the fukurobachi. And uh, that's what's kind of fun. The other thing that is really easy to pick up is the cleanliness of the work. You know, we talked when that last episode about how there's a little bit of that hand feel to it, which is so fantastic. Yeah. But it's uh, it's it's a really really big pot too. This is a really big tree. Yeah. Do you remember how it's, wide that thing is? I think it's 27 inches. 20, yeah. That's a, a good big pot. big ceramic. And getting a consistent clean shape is, from my understanding, not too easy. And so, what process? <laughs> like, how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I guess practice. <laughs> There's a lot of crappy pots out there with my name on it. Also, I'll, I'll say that much. <laughs> the uh, other thing that's got to be hard is this one pot has very subtle hues, and that's another thing. For being such a big departure, the departures, the effect of these departures are very subtle, and that's that requires some touch. That that there is art to that. The fact that it's inconsistently modeled throughout in a relatively consistent way except for that detail in the front that can't be super easy and I think that's one of the things that makes the pot such a neat match for the tree and probably why you want to see it so bad in fall color uh -huh. to really get the contrast to pop with it. The, the, what's interesting to me is the, the, the composition earlier this year I thought it was a failure and yeah. here's why. Uh, when I visited Dennis right after he had potted it up it was spring Oh, the, the bright green foliage yep. and this dark, yep. dull finish. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I left feeling just completely dejected. I thought, oh, no. I got it so wrong. Oh. <laughs> uh, I even I was texting my friends that I had failed. Uh, but as the tree, as summer progressed and the foliage darkened up, and now it's late summer, it's almost September, um, there's little yellow tips on the mm -hmm. leaves. Mm -hmm. um, it's coming together, and yes, I'm looking forward to, to fall, the payoff for the, for the pot. But it, it is interesting how through the seasons the the pairing may look crappy depending on you know the time of the year and i yep. think all bonsai people consider this and i know uh, deciduous specialists like andrew you think so precisely when do i want this thing to shine or which seasons because you get so much you just have so many different Deci variables yeah, when do you want it trees, to look good they're great because they look different in every single season yeah. um, and so uh, we can choose the color of the container and the glaze to, to showcase what's going on at that moment you could put it in a cream pot and it looks good in almost every season uh, you can put it in a blue pot and it looks great with these reds or a purplish pot and it looks really great with these 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 reds and oranges and yellows that that showcase in the autumn uh, greens are actually really really interesting to use because you can play on different values the green do you like foliage. green pots Most i do people like hate them pots. but i really like green i pots. really like green pots i have a lot in my garden um, Virtual high five for that. I like the green pots. <laughs> yeah. yeah, green pots. They're, what, what do you think about green pots? Do you like oh. green yeah, pots? Yeah, are we as both a crazy? Like. No, I love green pots. Nice. <laughs> Greens are, are, are an interesting playground for the glaze chemists. Um, oh. There's many ways to make a green glaze, and each chemical that 
uh, will create a different kind of green. Uh, and so mixing and matching those chemicals, you can. there's a whole rainbow of gr green. Uh -huh. <laughs> what, nice. what, so w when we look at an antique, the antique Chinese pots, what, what type of green is that? What, what Typically copper. Okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. Copper with a calcium. So. Okay. And, and, and those are really, really interesting because they're a, a much lighter green, uh, which, which play really well in a deep, lush summer foliage where you have a dark green and then you have that light green and you're playing on different values. Have you played with any other greens other than the yeah. classic? Yeah. Um, in fact, uh, Dennis's pot is actually a titanium green. Oh, interesting. Oh. Uh, and so it gives a matter green. Uh, it's not mm. as translucent. Uh -huh. the, the matrix of it is, is iron and titanium. Oh, neat. So, it's a, uh, th you know, there are a, a lot of other greens. You can, you can kind of create greens with uh, nickel as well. Mm -hmm. So, uh, a good example of that is the Aokochi is a nickel green. Okay. Um, and so, that gives you, as you know, a kind of army green yeah. kind of hue. Yeah. Um, those are kind of the three major greens. But there's actually, you know, Praseodymium is another famous green and then there's vanadium is another famous green i think and you own a one praseodymium yeah and explain to us there's people in, in in bonsai pottery throw around this term oribe a lot oribe <laughs> yeah oribe man and and there's a little bit of a relation to green there right yeah or, or, it, it is but green it's, it's it's they're green but they're they refer to what what, yeah. what is a what is when when someone who knows ceramics says oribe? What does that mean? Yeah, oribe is is a very specific glaze. I, I believe the artist was named oribe. There is an oribe kiln. It's a type of correct, uh, yeah. bowl they use for tea ceremony. I know, like you yeah. have oribe bowls, which look totally different than oribe bonsai pots. I, I believe it was in Mino, the city of Mino, where oh. oribe was developed, um, and that refers to a specific translucent green glaze that's uh, copper fluxed with uh, calcium uh, hmm. in the form of limestone. Oh, neat. Uh, so anything that diverges from that is technically not an oribe. So uh, and in the bonsai community, we incorrectly use the term oribe to talk about crystallization, right? Is that right? It's, I mean, <laughs> really? any pot, like if you look at a koyo pot, you'll say that's an oribe. The koyo, yeah. Or if you look, and then we see that in different colors, like a blue. But anything with crystallization mm -hmm. tends to be labeled oribe when that's really not what that means. I think it was probably the earliest uh, crystalline glaze that humanity developed, likely. And, and the way that that crystals work is uh, if you if you oversaturate a glaze with enough metal oxide uh, the metal will precipitate out of the matrix in the form of metal crystals and so oh. on old Oribe teaware you'll see this a lot in museums there'll be these pools of metallic crystals that form in the corners mm -hmm. oh, uh, and so I, I suspect that that's where the notion came from was that effect now talking about crystallization last time I was at your place now um, you had a glaze, and I was like, I swear this is a Koyo pot. It had like <laughs> it had like almost the exact type of color and crystallization that we see out of a lot of Koyo's work. Do you like crystallization? Are you doing a lot of it? <laughs> I'm warming up to the idea. <laughs> I, yeah, my personal feel is that it's a little showy. Uh, I, I, I would like it to stay traditional, um, uh -huh. but I am I am playing around with the idea. Yeah. Have you thought about what the how the use of the pot might differ in terms of matching it to a tree when there's more crystallization? I, I, I do see crystalline forms on smaller pots uh, mm -hmm. because they have a lot more visual interest. It's, it's difficult to uh, utilize that on a very large canvas like a 27-inch pot. Yeah. It would just be far, <laughs> too, far too loud. 
Um, I do like the subtle crystalline effect. So that's so what I described with the copper is is uh, just one example of a crystalline effect. There's several others. Um, the ones that uh, I saw a lot today at uh, Bill Vavanis's house. Um, there'll be a green. I, I, I it might have been a koyo also. Um, yeah, he has a lot of tokoname pots. Uh, but there'll be these, and you, you may have seen these. Th there'll be a, a green background on the pot, and then there'll be tiny white crystals um, mm -hmm. uh, throughout. It almost looks like snow or ash fell on it. Um, that's also a crystalline glaze, a different kind of crystalline glaze. But that's that's called a dolomite mat. If yeah. you if you if you oversaturate with 20% or more dolomite, uh, yeah. which is a type of calcium and magnesium, um, that's that's what creates that effect. But it's a it's a much more natural effect. Um, that's utilized a lot on ancient Chinese celadons and um, throughout history to make white glazes. Um, I, I think that's a very natural looking crystal. It's not this, you know. I'm sure you've seen those um, those kinds of glazes that have like these pockets of round, large nickel-sized crystals. Um, right. Uh, th that's a very different effect altogether. Well, that brought up a big question, and you know, there's a joke, they don't make old pots anymore, but why aren't we making pots that look like Chinese antiques? Some people really appreciate those pots. Why don't, why don't our, and apart from the effect of time on that, why don't our pots look like Chinese antique pots? I, I think it, it comes down to the way they're made. Uh, I think most uh, Western potters uh, uh, make pots on the wheel. Uh, uh -huh. I think, uh, we all learn to throw on a wheel. You know, you make teapots on a wheel. Uh, and the simplest bonsai pot is this round form with a hole in it, uh, which is, you know, a fine bonsai pot on its own. Uh, the, 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 the next hardest bonsai pot to make is, is an oval. Mm -hmm. uh, so that would be a, a circle pot that's stretched out into an oval. Uh, and, and something interesting happens uh, when you make an oval on a wheel. Um, so you uh, so start with a lump of clay in the center and you pull it out to make uh, a profiled sidewall and typically the way they're made is there's no floor yet right it's just a ring of clay like a donut or something um, so now you have this ring of clay and the artist will cut that ring off of the wheel head and then they will uh, stretch it out into an oval form on a pre-cut uh, mat of, of clay that makes the floor and then they'll join that wall to the floor um, but an interesting thing happens in that stretching process and, and this is kind of a physical effect of that process um, on the oval you'll have you'll have two two sides that have a very small radius and two sides that have a very large radius it's just that's what an oval is right yeah. um, but what happens is the the two sides with the small radius um, it's it they need to bend out of plane in order to take up that shape. Oh, of course. So what will happen is um, the, the two sides, the, the, the two uh, long sides with the smaller radius will actually bend up uh, and be higher uh, than the, f the two faces that you're facing that are f the front and the back. Um, and so it'll take on a kind of saddle shape. Mm -hmm. um, now, uh, a good artist w will realize this and will use the skill of their hands to manipulate the form such that it's planar again. Right. Uh, and, and a very good way to, to see a, the quality in a, in a Western-made oval is to kneel down and look 
look on end or edge of the pot. I turn uh, them upside down right. off as yeah. if I have a flat Basically, surface. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Does it rock yeah. on yeah. a flat surface upside down? Um, and the other, the other consequence of, of this fabrication technique, uh, the Western oval is, I guess is what I'm calling it, um, is that the profile uh, will be different uh, depending on its position on the oval. So if you were to look at the profile uh, sh uh, straight on, so the, the sides uh, facing the front, it'll, it'll be steeper than uh, the, the sides on the, on the front and the back. And so the overall effect is a kind of wonk. I'm not going to, you know, in a, in yeah, a bad wonky. Yeah, it's, it's wonky. It looks kind of like a, a saddle or a boat. Well, it's a really uh, useful description because I was imagining if I had a plastic piece of tape, two inches thick, and I had a circle of it, mm -hmm. and I tried to bend it to make that shape into the oval, it would do those exact things. Is it would get high in the middle, it would get low on the ends, and the extent of the radius on the side of it would differ on both sides. It would Correct, look a little yeah. more pinched on the short edge and it would be more straight on the flatter edges. Right. And we see a lot of pots that look like that. Right. And it's funny, it wouldn't have occurred to me until you described it that way because I just assume, well, clay is malleable. You can make it whatever shape you want. And we're thinking of if you just pack it into a form, you can just kind of pound the clay where it needs to be. And you're not going to have those same artifacts. You get different artifacts, but... You're right. That makes is that a reliable way to tell? Oh, that's very likely a thrown oval right there. And and you can compensate for that. A skilled mm -hmm. potter can 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 compensate if they realize this and are skilled. Um, but uh, it's very difficult to uh, compete with the mathematical precision of a Chinese or Japanese made pot, uh, and that's because the way they're made is very different. And how are they made? For, for those uh, uh, that don't know. So there is a Chinese tradition and there is a Japanese tradition for making bonsai pots. Um, the, tr the tradition, okay, that was a funny story. I was in, I was in Omiya village uh, uh, um, several years ago and I was looking through a giant pile of bonsai pots oh. and I, I was studying, you know, buying them to study and whatnot. And um, I called the, the garden attendant over and asked him, how much is this? And is it Japanese or Chinese? And he said, Mitara wakaru. And he kind of <laughs> walked away. And I was like, Mitara wakaru means like, just look at it and you'll know. You'll and know. He, said it, yeah. he said it in a way that I was like, like it's you obvious. stupid gaijin, <laughs> are you an idiot? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I, you know, I scratched my head and I didn't understand what he meant. And, I, and it took me a couple of years to, to figure it out. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, it's mitara wakaru. Uh, you know, first you, there's the clay body. Mm -hmm. um, very distinct differences in, in Chinese and Japanese clay. Yeah. So he, and I'm, I'm still learning this and it's, mm -hmm. uh, for him, uh, an expert, it's very easy. To, the, the hue and the color and the shade and the texture of, of a clay body is very different. Right. Uh, so that's one mitara wakaru. Mm -hmm. uh, the second one is the way it's made. So traditionally in China, uh, They'll uh, drape. It's called drape molding. They'll take. Oh, a, yeah. They'll take a slab of clay and they'll drape it over a core. Um, then they will revolve a profile on the outside of the pot uh, to create the the kind of nice mathematical looking shape. Uh, oh, and the, the so the form is perfect on the inside, but hand finished on the outside. Correct. Yeah. Oh, so and so you'll see this on on nakawatari mm -hmm. uh, kind of unglazed pots and shirokochi and aokochi a lot. Is that the inside 
um, will not have the tooling that a Japanese pot will have, but the outside will have a kind of wonkiness, a kind of hand warmth, because it's handmade on the outside. It has a, a the, you can see the artifacts of a revolved profile on the outside. It's so obvious hearing you say these things. Yeah, right. And and so and then the way that they let it sink, and so you get that sunken floor and all that. So yeah, mikaru wakaru. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the Japanese tokoname pot, which is very, very recent in, in, in the history of bonsai potting. Yeah. Um, what, what is recent? Uh, within the last 100 or 100 150 years. years. Yeah, okay. uh, they, That's of course, so cool. use the press mold, yeah. uh, which Japan has been using for 100 years before that to make all sorts of tea implements and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's the opposite of the Chinese technique. So there you have a mathematically perfect mold on the outside, and yeah. then you press clay from the inside against that mathematically perfect outer structure. So the inside's a little bit wonky, Correct. and has that feel on the outside Correct. is, depending on how they clean it, is yep. pretty clean. Exactly. And very precise. Mitara wakaru. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I need more pots so I can get my mitawakaru on. You learn a lot by pots, or about pots by handling them. And it's, it's one of the great I things about the U.S. Up. National Show is you get to, I mean, you can walk through the exhibit area. You can see yeah. antique Chinese pots for sale. You can see modern Chinese pots for sale. Yeah. You can see Western pots. You can see European pots for sale. It's, it's, it's really, really... We had a really great variety. We, actually, we, we may have had more variety of pots globally this year than in past nationals. Yeah, it's, it's really, really fun to just walk through and handle each one and, and yeah. just really... You, you learn a lot like that. And so I'd be curious what you do when you pick up a pot, but I know you pick up the color just generally when you look at it, and you generally pick up the style. But I, if I'm interested in a pot, it's hard not to pick it up. When I pick it up easily, the first thing I notice is the weight. And, and mm. what is, 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 our, is a good pot heavy? Is a good pot light? <laughs> is there, is there, um, is there uh, flexibility there? What's I heard a rumor from another uh, bonsai professional that heavier pots in Japan are viewed better than, oh, than lighter. Uh, that's that's what I heard. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, in in the like let's say traditional potting world of teacups and teapots, uh, usually lighter is better. Light and delicate. Yeah. yeah uh, Even if it looks heavy, you pick it up and it. It's yeah, yeah. Light, right? it's, it's, it, uh, from a physical standpoint, it's, it's more difficult to make a thin-walled structure than a thicker one. Yeah. Um, al although thicker, you can get into cracking issues and, and whatnot. But uh, I, I think, uh, yeah, in general, a lighter pot tends to indicate better uh, familiarity with your material and hence well, experience. That's neat. And it's funny to say experience because I think of a lot of beginner pots as significantly heavier than I would expect him to be. When I pick up a pot and it weighs a lot more, my very next question will be, where's the extra clay? And sometimes it'll be the base will be really heavy. Sometimes it'll be the connection between the base and the pot walls. Or sometimes it'll be around the lip. There are certain places where you expect there to be more weight. If the sides are often bulging out a little bit, that's where you expect the clay to be thinner just because of the way they put it together by any of the techniques. It's just more likely to have been stretched out more there. And the best made pots are thin where the maker wants them to be thin, thick where the maker wants them to be thick. And it's like, are you sensitive to that, Andrew? Like, I really notice that when I pick them up. Yeah, I do too. It's 
And I don't know if it totally translates to when the tree's potted in it. Some of those things do, some don't. Yeah, yeah. And I have certain, I mean, it's, I have certain pots in my yard, like it's just like, it doesn't look heavy, but it's just so heavy. And then you go to move the tree and it's just like a <laughs> ordeal. Yeah. But it's, I don't, I don't know if there's a, do you have a preference if a pot is, is lightweight or, or, or heavy? I'm, you know, I want them to make sense. If it's a consistent wall and it just has overall good build quality, I don't mind the extra weight. Uh, there are a couple of tokenami makers that make really lightweight pots. And even some of the famous kilns, there's just really big variety. I have a number of old, and actually even now that I think about it, there are not all Chinese antiques are equal. Um, I used to go to a garden in Japan that always would get a whole bunch of Chan, Chinese antiques. And interestingly, they were hidden in the weeds. It was like an Easter egg hunt for bonsai folks. It was the funniest <laughs> thing. We'd visit this house every year and he'd just take us to the garden. And it was a bunch of tables that no longer had trees on them. This was Joe Harris's teacher's place. Oh, fun. And we would just search through the grass and buy our antiques. And they were often the ones that are much more affordable slash harder to use. So much narrower front to back, much wider side to side. And some of them were surprisingly light with really crackled, mm. really uneven uh, finishes on the surface. And then the teeny tiny drainage holes. <laughs> and they were... Uh, yeah, some of those were surprisingly light. And again, some modern tokenomi potters make really light pots, but I think it really depends on kind of the whole context of where they're going with that. The kowatari pots that I really love, the old things, uh -huh. they're pretty solid, right. the ones yes. that I'm familiar with. Yeah. Those are consistently thicker, yeah. Yeah. bigger lips, substantial walls, reasonable bases, like significant feet. There's nothing flimsy about a 250-year-old pot. Yeah. And they're just delightful to handle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So now you're, you're really inspired by the forms of the antique Chinese. Are there other components of antique Chinese pots that you find fascinating or that you implement in your work? So, <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> uh, uh, definitely the clay bodies. I, I, I've been exploring different clay bodies that I see in books. I've never handled these pots, these, these old Chinese pots, but um, the clay bodies are something that excites me and i didn't realize this until talking to you but uh, apparently these days the standardization of clay bodies there's there's not a lot of options to choose from <laughs> that's you, right yeah. how many clay bodies are there in in like north america well I, like, yeah it's hard to define what a different clay body is and uh there's you know there's regional suppliers of clay uh -huh. so the pacific uh has a, a supplier and portland we're lucky to have our own supplier but okay. if you're in the midwest uh, you'll have a different supplier who uses local materials um, but generally, mass producers of clay in the U.S. favor manufacturability and ease of use by the, uh, the potter. Um, but interestingly enough, the, those qualities also lead to really ugly pots, especially in bonsai. Uh, ugly how so? Uh, to make a, for, okay, so a, a clay, you want it to be very malleable and easy to throw on a wheel and, uh -huh. and feel good in the hand, have that Play-Doh feel, right? Um, but, but those are typically... Uh, made with ball clays. Ball clays give clay that kind of um, sticky, buttery feeling that allows you to make fun shapes. Ball clays look terrible to me. Uh, they're very different from an Asian clay. Uh, so most clays on the market in the U.S. have ball clays in it. Uh, well, that's interesting because I know when, a lo when I ask friends to make pots or just non-bonsai people at all and I say, yeah, make a little bonsai container. It's always, a, the clay is lightweight, no variation in color or grog, 
weird texture and they're just there's something almost chintzy about it and that's I don't know if that's a thing or not but I've had that same experience with different people over 30 years yeah and maybe that's just what what's available off the shelf right well in Asia um, they're very lucky to have many sources of natural clays uh, and and for in, in Japan, for example, they can go out to a, their, a hillside or a rice paddy, and under it, we'll f- they'll find beautiful clay. Uh, uh, is, that, is that a pro- uh, for someone who's not a potter? Can you just take that clay and, and fire it in its pottery? In, in Japan, yes. It, there are, there are certain wow. places, and so those correspond to the six ancient kiln sites of Japan, like Bizen, for example, in Wakayama. Um, it's next to the coast. The whole, the whole rice paddies are built on clay. Um, it's a giant alluvial floodplain, and underneath the rice paddy is beautiful clay. Wow. The clay that makes uh, bizenware famous, the purplish, brownish. Yeah, it's yeah. very close that's to That's exceedingly eating. consistent clay over long periods of time. Correct. I have some bizenware at home. Yeah, and, and it has these little chunks of, of white particulate yeah, matter. Yeah, good grog. Yeah. Uh-huh. What's, what's the white in there? Uh, I, you know, I, I've never handled really old, great Bizen examples. Uh-huh. I can't tell if it's kiln fly ash or, or what, but oh, it could just be little pumice stones or something. Uh-huh. Um, but the interesting thing about, you know, if we're going to talk about Bizen where is that, that, that clay, terrible to work with. It's not <laughs> really? plastic. So you can't, oh. you can throw it on a wheel, um, but you need a lot of skill. And, uh, I've heard stories of American potters going to Asia to make pots uh, and they, they suck at throwing because the, uh, as you're, you're throwing the pot, it's cracking on the wheel because they're not oh used gosh. to this quality of Asian clays. Um, and so, you know, what, what Shoji Hamada would say is bad clay makes a good pot. Um, uh, and so he, you know, he, in his case, he used his local clay um, in Mashiko, which he dug from the hills. Uh, and that was also very short. The short is the word that potters would use. Oh. Uh, uh, cracking anytime you bend it. You make a little coil like you would with Play-Doh and you bend it into a ring around your finger and it would crack before it bends halfway. Um, so it's not very clay-like at all. But, Unforgiving. Um, because, because it's so high, uh, it's saturated in, in the good things that give clay uh, good color, good, good quality when fired. Um, those lead to superior products. Um, and so interestingly, the Chinese and Japanese method of making bonsai pots yield them, uh, lend themselves well to being using that terrible clay. So in Yixing, for example, you can use that short, beautiful colored clay in that Chinese fabrication style, but you could not do that on a wheel. You could not use Yixing, wheel, uh, Yixing clay on a wheel easily. Interesting. Yeah. So, so that's kind of the, the reason that they do the things they did. And it's funny, even though I asked the question, I guess I hadn't thought of it. I have a number of antique Chinese pots that have, it's almost a buttery texture. And I'm wondering how much of that is patina that's invisible to the eye, or is it really just spectacular clay that we just don't find? Because yeah. the you get these 100, 200-year-old pots, and they, these unglazed, and it's, it's almost like a liquid is filled in the pores. They are this smooth, I glorious, see. wonderful <laughs> texture, and I just... Is that just an effect of time, or is it, or is it really just unique clay? I think everyone needs to know about ongobes. Oh, let's. Uh, so, Tell so us. In, in Yixing in particular, they're very famous for their ongobe work. And so what ongobe is, uh, uh, the, other, the, the, the Western equivalent is terra sigillata. Um, and so 
what it is is a very, very fine clay. Uh, and I'll tell you how it's made is you take a bucket of clay and you get it really wet like a mud. And then you let it settle for about a week. Uh, and then you skim off only the tiniest uh, upper layers of clay. And so what, you, what you're left with it are you know, very small microparticles of clay, the finest stuff. Yeah, the stuff that's not sinking. And so uh, what they do in Yixing is after they make their, their, their clay, their, their, their form, um, they will brush on this very fine solution of clay. So it's like a wash, but so much finer. Yeah, and it, it's, it's made of the same material as the body, um, but what you'll see on what I saw today in the show, anytime there's a chip, you'll see a color difference. Yeah, and the textural difference as Correct, well. Correct, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with the terrace geladas. That's how you, you get those great effects, and you can burnish it, and that's what makes the yes. yixing pot so, so, so beautiful. And it takes the patina better as a result. So is that common today? Are many? Do you see much? Any examples of people doing that kind of work? It, these not days? in the world of bonsai. Interesting. Uh, but you know, it's it's used in a lot of Native American works, uh, uh-huh. and you know, certain artistic traditions. So it's funny. We all uh, okay. We don't all adore Chinese pots, but Andrew and I are saying that we really <laughs> love Chinese antique pots. And why aren't there more people doing that? And it turns out, well, actually, we know what the technique is, and we know what the approach is, and just no one's, or at least not a lot of people, are following that approach. It's so interesting. I think it's the most prized <laughs> thing is getting the least amount of attention from <laughs> yeah. modern uh, technicians. I, I believe a lot of things have to fall into place. And you, you need the motivation, the knowledge, the the, uh, the right materials. All these things take time to develop. And you have to want to end up with something that was done a very long time ago, and mm-hmm. it's... It, not everyone wants to work without novelty. Yeah. And, and we forget that in Yixing, it must have taken them a thousand years to develop these technologies. So yeah. um, to, to independently develop it in the U.S. out of nothing, you know, I don't think it'll take a thousand years, but certainly not a decade. Not overnight. Yeah, yeah. Let's circle back to the show. Um, hmm. What were other things that you noticed, either walking through the show or the vendor area? Just, just what were what were ceramic observations that you took away? Uh, this is your first national op- uh, exhibition, like you said. What, what, what other things were you seeing um, in this in the ceramics? Well, yeah, I've been to shows in in Japan, and those are primarily Japanese or Chinese pots. Uh, so, the thing that I took away was seeing American artists doing that kind of large scale. Uh, show pot. Uh, okay. So I, I, I you know, I, I saw all the big names, the Sarah Rainers, the Ron Langs, and, and that, that was pretty cool to see. Uh, some large, beautiful examples of the, those works. Yeah. Yeah, seeing those things in person is, is a lot of fun. It's it's like why we said earlier, it's this, this exhibition, you perhaps see one of the widest varieties, and not just trees and styles, but in, in ceramics as well. Yeah. Does it make you want to hit the studio? Oh, absolutely. Just you know, right before eating dinner, Andrew and I were game planning what I should make next. Yeah, nice. so what, what are you making next? What do you want to make uh, next week when you, when you go home? And, and you, you just got a new kiln, so, so that's, yeah, that's, that's right. an, yeah. another exciting thing. But what are you going to start filling that new kiln with? <laughs> I want to go big, I think, in short. Uh, oh, nice. I, I, yeah, I, what I've seen, at least in, 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 at, the, at the national shows, the need for larger, high-quality, modern pots, um, and that's something I want to fulfill. So uh, I have been making larger forms, but I want to make them even bigger. I want to hit you know, 24 up to 30, 30 inches in times. But you know, that, 
that perfect geometrically accurate Asian style pot uh, with new and innovative glazes. Uh, listeners can't hear the grins on my face or Andrew's <laughs> right now hearing that, but that's that's music to our ears. Awesome. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're super excited about yeah. Nao's work. For I'm sure. literally, as you say that, I'm thinking, okay, that tree on that bench, that tree on that bench, that tree on that bench. <laughs> yeah, with the new kiln, I should you know hopefully triple my output. Um, currently, I can only work about four hours a day after my day job and after my daughter goes to sleep. Oh, wow. Uh, but... Uh, because of the size limitations of my kiln, it's it's only uh, about 28 inches wide oh. um, and maybe 36 inches tall. I can only jam so many large show quality pots in there at once, but uh, with, the, with the new kiln, I should be able to triple that. How big is the new kiln? Uh, it's 28 cubic feet on the inside, so 38, oh, inch, wow. 38 inches by 30-something by 40-something. So nice. we're going to see a lot more Tokutake pots in the future. <laughs> I certainly <laughs> some, hope so. Some big ones. <laughs> if, awesome. if my wife Mary gives me time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of your wife Mary, you guys just collaborated on I think one of the most beautiful pots recently. It's it's a modern take on a like Canton pot where it has this oh. mo- this kind of floral or mm-hmm. yeah. mo- motif to it. What what was that like? Well, I think I was visiting your garden actually, and I got to for the first time in my life hold a real Canton pot, like a, a, yeah. a very high quality antique canton um and i've been admiring canton pots for some time i like the kind of free form attitude that they're made with the kind of you know the the glazing is very bright uh it has usually a a, a decorative impressed element to it you know flowers and plum blossoms and butterflies Um, and i and i was thinking for the longest time what would an american canton look like Uh, you know had had the canton been invented in Louisiana what the heck would it look like (laughs) Um, and so my wife and I were you know over dinners and whatnot we were discussing what would an American Canton have Um, and so we did we did one and I want to do a series of different American Cantons but the the first one we did was kind of a southeast thing Um, so on one side uh, is magnolia blossoms Uh uh, with a Carolina wren Um, so you know and, and this is like impressed on the side so it has a three-dimensional relief effect. Petals. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Relief, yeah. Um, and I did, I did, I did my hardest to, to kind of to kind of do a take on a Canton glaze. So it's a it's a copper translucent um, nepheline cyanide glaze. So it has that crackle. Hmm. And so, for those who don't know what a Canton pot is, how would you describe that? Uh, so it's a whole class of pots that uh-huh. that were made in southern China um, around the turn of the century, the 1900s. Um, they, you know, some have impressed uh, embossed designs. Um, some have, you know, very strong cut corners. Uh, it's yeah. How would I think it, of them as a lot of, of those p- motifs and have been um, inspired, um, and, and we see them in, in Tokoname pots. You can see a Yamaki pot with these, mm, these motifs see. kind of. Yeah, it's a lot of green them. pots with the flowers on it. Yeah, and I, I, I love using them for flowering and fruiting plants especially I, things with substantial trunks they look fantastic yeah yeah it's they're, they're they're really fun to use and it's nice to have some variety on the bench you know we have all these pots that yeah. you know when we can add a texture or something every now and then it, yeah. it can really break up a lot of pots that are relatively flat yeah and, and I, I like thinking about the guy who made it it was probably some like overworked sweaty tired guy <laughs> making 20 of these a day yeah. um, and so you see that quality it's a it's a free form kind of manufacturing technique like 
they'll be wonky. Yeah. Uh, the, the the feet will be chipped. The glazing's terrible. Uh, they were probably pennies on a dollar when they were first made. And now they're highly valued, uh, and I, you know, I love that aspect of them. <laughs> That's cool. Um, so, so, uh, so on the other side of the American Canton, um, we wanted to do something that was purely North American. This could never come from Asia, and so what we picked was the tobacco plant um, <laughs> and and a uh, Nicotiana, a wild Nicotiana. Oh, nice! And uh, hummingbird which would never be found in Asia. Excellent. And so there's a hummingbird in the Nicotiana. Yeah, and for those of you who haven't seen this, you can check out uh, Now's Instagram, and, and there's some, some photos of it there. It's, it's a really, really beautiful pot. I, I can't wait to get one in my, in my garden. But so, so more, maybe more of those in the future. What else are you going to throw in this new big kiln? <laughs> uh, you said big pots, but, but and any new shapes that you, you're inspired by after seeing the show, glazes, what... What is this show kind of stimulated in, in your, your, yeah, your ceramic? I, I, I don't get to see a lot of the, the big name potters, like really large Koyos I didn't get to see until mm. t- t- today. Um, those are very s- simple shapes, but with different glazing, they can be expressed in different ways. So I want to make, you know, I got to hit all those high marks, those, 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 those kind of utilitarian shapes so large rectangles with thick walls large ovals with nice rims i don't i don't have any of these shapes yet in my uh, repertoire um but i'll do my take on them and um i'm just inspired to do large shapes now <laughs> in general that's a lot of different directions right there that'll be fun yeah yeah and with the kiln i you know i want to do i love forest plantings a lot um i want to do really large forest trays Oh, uh, great. I want to see like a 30-something inch forest tray. Yeah. Those were the pots I had in my mind when I was enumerating trees that need pots. Yeah. They're large forests. I see. We yeah. just, those are hard to find around yeah. here. They're very hard and to find. And they're getting hard to find in Japan, actually, because I was trying, I've been trying to order some of those from Japan, large shallow pots, because I have these large forests. And they said, yeah, those are getting really popular in Europe, and they're just, they're hard to find now in Japan. So, so yeah. Yeah. Well, we know your time's limited tonight. Thank you so much for sharing all of this about pots. I where can where can people find out more about you? What's what's your Instagram handle or, or website or, or how uh, do how do we find how do we find your work? Uh, just uh, Tokutake Bonsai. Okay. Great. Well, thanks so much. Now it's it's been really fun walking the show with you, and, and it's it's even more fun that we we saw uh, a prize-winning tree in, in, in one of your pots. That was pretty special. Absolutely. So. Thank you. Thank you very much. Congratulations. Thanks again. Yeah. Congrats. music on today's podcast was brought to you by the fine folks at blue dot sessions check them out at www.sessions.blue